on this pursuit that you guys seem to have spent a lot of time doing. And um, could you give me like a little bit of insight? Because I find the whole thing rather baffling. Why would grown men? Um, <laughs> you know, I can understand like I can understand like sports where people like actually exert themselves physically. So I, I'm with that. But like, why would grown men wear really awkward trousers and walk around huge? In fact, they don't even walk. They're going in these little cars, huge tracts of land, which which I think are quite you know environmentally expensive, um, in order to in order to with the help of a very big stick get a very small white ball into a very smallish hole. Could you could you get inside, Rory? What do you have to say about that? Oh, well, Rawi, it's a marvelous sport, really. What you <laughs> You're, you come from Delhi? What do I just think you know about Delhi by your accent? I was wondering. <laughs> I think marvelous is a perfectly Scottish word. I, I retract, I retract, I retract. You were right. Perhaps I was in right. South Africa they don't speak English properly. I don't <laughs> good, good, good. form, But as far as putting small things and little things go, the Scottish are quite renowned for it, really. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, that's it. That's it. Tiger, do you have something to add to to Rory's uh, to Rory's comments? Well, it's quite beautiful, really. Uh, you know, if you get really good at it, like me, then you make a lot of money, and that's uh, that's what I'm in it for. So. No, that's that's really highly valuable. Um, Jason, you feel that you feel that the sport apparently is called golf. Um, do you feel that that's really like important thing to do? Yeah, it's a great stay away from the wives and girlfriends, man, and have a beer with the blokes. <laughs> okay, good. So it seemed to be that I was mistaken. That this game definitely has <laughs> deep significance and meaning. And uh, I apologise for even assuming otherwise. Um, I just like to maybe give a round of applause for our special guests who came in today. Thank you. Okay, now we're going to like shift the topic of of the share and focus on something which I think David Alec would be more relaxed with, and that is. Football. So, we'll have a chance to discuss that. I mean, it's important that people. That, no, I'm saying it's important that people who can't play real sport like rugby, where they don't have to wear like pads because they're little ninnies. So, basketball. You do that. You like? Okay. Well, okay. Did that. You did that. You did that. You grew out of it. You grew out of it. You grew out of it. How old were you? Thirteen when you grew out of it. I was. Not six foot five. <laughs> Two twenty three. Twenty. You actually. I, think I quit playing about twenty three. Okay, good. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you. I'm glad that you managed to. Organized wise. Yeah. Okay. Disorganized basketball. Disorganized. Play that all the time. Okay. Still do that. <laughs> you never want to come play. No, 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 no. You're thank welcome. you, thank you, thank you. A little exercise. We want to learn some with and you just really distract us with the thing. You get two goals every time you get one. Archaeopolis the other day. That the bigger you <laughs> are, the more maggots they're going to eat you. <laughs> what we are sincerely working on is our relationship between our bodies and our inner selves and we were speaking about Twila and the truth is there is a um, a comparison between what we're trying to do when we get into the physical form of davening and what we try to do when we get into the physical form of sport. In sport, whether it be golf, football or tennis, form becomes a crucial component of performance. And when you are able to, through your bodily movements, 
execute in a smooth fashion the required movements so then there's an there's a there's a kind of a synergy that starts to happen how you feel about yourself and how you feel about the game in other words there's something magical about being in the right flow of movement within this external structure call it a game of whichever type of sport you like to choose but there's something athletes describe it in different terms but it's 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 almost a sometimes people describe it as a spiritual moment because there's this being in sync with everything around me all at once and everything is working perfectly and flowing together the harmony promotes a certain wow experience internally now if if that's possible to to experience in something as absolutely ridiculously trivial as sport so imagine if you could quite away with that one quite easily imagine if you imagine if you could do that in a real sense in other words whatever that is that's obviously a kind of a a small superficial glimpse into something which on a deeper level is real meaning imagine if your movement in this world was perfectly timed with the harmony of the reality of creation and you you acted in accordance with that so the game of life started to become integrated with your performance that would be like magnificent that would be like a real super 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 high the interesting thing about tefillah is that it's what we've been discussing until now is that there's this whole focus on creating the correct mind space of what it means to daven and it's a difficult lahavdil sport to play because and this is kind of a struggle that we have whenever we, and as we've discussed before, wherever we enter into the, the realm of the ruchnias, of the spiritual, is that the events that occur can't be registered by our senses. So we, we have to go into this world with an undeveloped set of ears, eyes, sense of touch. So the reason why I can get the geschmack of shooting the basket is because there's a ball and there's a basket and there's other players around me so I feel it all my senses from my sight to my hearing to my spell give over that they're all, they're all involved in that experience but when, when I, I pull off a fantastic Shemone Esrei well, where, where's the gauge? I don't know what happened? so it's almost as if entering into the spiritual world requires an acquisition of a whole new range of senses and we have to develop a sense of spiritual taste, touch, etc. So just as an analogy an experience that I can share with you um, as a contrast very often the levels of life that we live at aren't different to one another's but different to another but they're just different expressions of the same idea eating out at different restaurants could be a more overt a more tangible materialized form of davening really? how strange what do you mean eating out at restaurants is a form of davening? well yes and no because if we go a little bit deeper into the, the notion of eating so what it is is an experience of 
gaining new life through a pleasurable process. The food provides me with the, the nutrients which allow my body to maintain itself. So actually an act of eating is a very, can be, in the correct context, a very powerful experience of engaging with a new lease on life. If you go to, and that's that's kind of going to a more overt, a more superficial, a more um, on the surface of life experience. But let's go on a more profound level. On a more profound level, when a person davens, so then you actually, you're finding the root that allowed the food to come into your life, with the, which then provided you with sustenance. So in a sense, it's a much higher form of eating. Of gaining life. You following me? Meaning that we see in the spiritual sequence of cause and effect that in that chain of events, the actual putting the food into your mouth is at the end of the chain of events. But really there was something which allowed the food to come into existence and be put in a plate in front of you. And that can be, it doesn't have to be as we'll explain, that can be the power of your prayer. Very often the prayers focus around, and we don't see it in these terms because living in an affluent country, but very often an affluent time, an affluent society, but very often prayers were simply about give me food to eat. Now if we accept the validity of prayer, if the f- prayer give me food to eat would have been answered, it would have meant that when I have the food in front of me, the cause of this food landing on this plate was because of the prayer that I said. So then you actually see that the process of putting the food in your mouth and the process of requesting the food to be put in your mouth are really two of the same. One is a just a, a more elevated stage of really the same thing. Both of them are, how do I produce more life in my being? Well, I have to access it. If I don't open my mouth and put the food inside it, so then I can't. But then if I don't... Pray, pray to get the food there in the first place so then it doesn't exist. Now obviously this is tricky because there are many people who pray, pray and they get food in front of them. And there are many things that don't pray for and they happen anyway. So how do you say that the prayer is causal? Surely the stuff is automatic. So I think that's a very important point to ponder. But I'm going to deviate from that. Put that on the side. Suspend our question on that and then focus on but let's talk about the reality of prayer as it's a reality. The reality of prayer means as follows. I need food to eat. No, I need life. So I go to the source of life and I say, give me life. Now, giving me life has many different forms to it, many different facets. Giving life means give me intellectual life, give me emotional life, give me physical life. That's prayer. Now, let's try get back to prayer from eating. Because essentially, when you're putting food in your, in, in your mouth, you're engaging in a prayer. You're saying, food, give me life. Of course, it's not articulated, it's not oral. It's a mechanical process where there's a cognizance at some level that by the fact that you're eating, you're now engaging in an experience of producing new life in your body. Correct? Now, let's speak about the eating culture and see if we can make some type of analogy. And I'm, 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 I'm hypothesizing over here. I'm not saying categorically things that I have established. I'm rather exploring together with you because I think it's relevant. So now, when we're going through the process of eating, so there's different components to that experience. 
there's the if you think about it, the kind of the the culture that starts to develop around eating becomes really interesting. First of all, there's a variety of different kinds of foods which have cultural connotations. There's Chinese food, there's Korean food, there's Thai food, there's Italian food, there's Greek food, there's cultural nuances in the presentation of how this engagement with the reproduction of more life should be activated. So there's a kind of, the type of food, simply the ingredients that you put in it and the taste that those produce. But there's also lots of other things which surround eating cultures. There's the environment with, when, w- 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 that you eat within. There's utensils that you use, is it knife and fork, hands or chopsticks? Depending on your cultural context, you'll be using different ways of putting the food in your mouth. There's a way that you sit, there's a place that you sit in. One of the experiences of modern life that's been popularized in the last 30 to 50 years has been eating as a pastime. I don't think it ever used to be like certainly when 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 before affluence set in the Western world, there was no eating as a pastime. Eating was a very focused activity of how I'm going to have enough food to survive so I can carry on living. But now eating has become a hobby. It's become a hobby and it's become a form of entertainment, which is really interesting. How did this? How did this? process of producing new life suddenly take on this spectrum of different tastes and colors and what is irrelevant for the process what is irrelevant to the process of eating so when a person eats there's two components to that activity there's the result and the process that produces that result the result is the fact that the nutrients which I've put into my mouth chewed and swallowed will give me the energy to continue living and there's the process the means whereby I'm able to achieve that result which is the actual putting the food into mouth and chewing it. In a classic sense, when we engage in an activity, we try to create an alignment between the process and the result. Back to our analogy of sport, the form that you find is inextricably linked with the purpose of the game you're playing if you've got beautiful form the way that you shoot is magnificent but you keep on missing the basket so then it's it's invalidated because it's only as valuable as this process that I'm engaged in produces the result that I'm looking for When when the process itself defeats the result so the process becomes laughable 
in the field of football, and by that I mean football, as opposed <laughs> to American football, which is a game played by ninnies wearing armor. Um, <laughs> So, in the game of real football, if a person has incredible ball skills and he can dribble not only everyone else but himself in a circle, so that's only as valuable as his capacity to be effective on the field and score a goal. If he's incredible ball skills and he doesn't bother passing, so he'll be crossed off the team because he's his form is his, he, the, the process he's engaged in doesn't facilitate, literally in that case the goal, so you always have to create an alignment between that, this process is producing that goal, when the process defeats the goal, so then you, you cross it out so if your ball skills facilitate higher scoring averages they're applauded if they defeat higher scoring averages they disdained Let's think about that in the context of eating. The goal of eating is to create life, to produce a energy that will allow you to continue. What would happen if the process actually defeated that point? So it would be ludicrous. But nevertheless, all of us indulge in exactly that. That we dislocate the process from the result. And instead of thinking about food as a mechanism of producing life, we think about food as a taste experience. So that's almost looking upon dribbling a basketball as an experience and not realizing, no, there's a game that we're playing over here, guys. Let's get on with it. It's almost as if a person takes a golf club and the fact that he's got a fantastic swing the fact that he happens to hit the ball completely in the opposite direction to the hole is irrelevant because his swing is and it's from the hips. Take doesn't help. Doesn't help because the point is to get that tiny little ball into that tiny little hole. That's what the old geschmack is, the choya. In as few shots as possible. That's like a tricephus geschmack. Um, so, so eating itself becomes can actually become self-defeating self-defeating now why would we engage in a self-defeating process in this area of our life when we don't do it in other areas of our life if a person's running a business and he's got a fantastic office but the office is so costly and the image that he's projecting is so great but it's not selling any any of his products so then it's a waste of time what are you doing that for? You're, it doesn't help. In other words, like this. When you dislocate the means from the end and you make the means into the end themselves, so then in the, it's called you've killed the process. You've killed the process. The process is going to produce X. When you deprive the process of producing X, it means you've abused the process. You've taken something which is meant to be this, this is what the structure is, this is what the mechanic is, and you've actually destroyed the mechanic. This is the mechanic. Eat, produce life. When the process of eating is not to produce life, it means you're not eating. You're doing something else. Let's revisit a Gomorrah that we once quoted after an extremely delicious lunch that I served to many people in this year 
when they requested pastrami sandwiches. I don't know if you guys, I don't know how many of you were, were aware of this incredible and joyful experience, but once in a Musashir many moons ago, someone came in eating a roll. I said, oh, so can I eat? Asking permission in a very, very well-managed fashion. I said, no problem. And as a joke, I said, anyone else feel like something to eat? And Americans, often being very literal, <laughs> didn't pick up the sarcasm. So someone said, well, if you're offering. <laughs> so I said, well, what would you like? So they said, um, what you're offering? So I said, well, how about a pastrami sandwich? And they said, that sounds rather good. And now, obviously now, again, there was like a little, some Americans do get sarcasm. So they were like, some don't get all, some do get a little bit. The ones that get a little bit, now were convinced, it obviously, was, obviously wasn't sarcasm. So they started to place their orders. <laughs> and after getting eight orders for sandwiches, I went off to my college to buy them. <laughs> Upon returning, so there was like a lot of confusion in the shares to exactly what happened, because those who were like still like a little bit with the sarcasm couldn't figure out they'd really done it, and those that didn't get the sarcasm at all were just really happy to have lunch in share. <laughs> <laughs> so after, after this, this kind of a social experiment, which I enjoyed thoroughly and still get nachas from, <laughs> um, I discussed the Gemarion Soita. The Gemarion Soita is a very strange kind of intuitive thing. It says that when a person um, eats bread without washing his hands, it's akin to going to visit a prostitute. Now that seems like a weird comparison because maybe it's like not good, maybe it's not appropriate, but why that? But the truth is that Gemur reflects the point that we're just discussing. The idea of sexual intimacy is through the union of husband and wife together they can create something which is beyond themselves now it doesn't physically have to take form of a child but the entire notion of the synergy between male and female is that when they unite the sum of the parts the whole is greater than the sum of the parts that man and woman is a greater entity than him and her when they become together they're able to bring something into the world either physically through a child or metaphorically through the unity that they have when they coordinate their movements with one another they are able to bring something new into the world a chidush something that wasn't here before individually it could never have happened so the goal of this connection is that through the connection something else will result. New life will be produced. Either new life, actually literally through the birth of a child, or new life in a more metaphorical sense. That there will be new insight. That if the husband provides this and the wife provides this, they'll be able to affect something which they couldn't affect individually. In a more practical sense, bringing it down, if the um, husband has a talent for conversation, and the wife for welcoming, the husband's talent for conversation combined with the wife's welcoming can give a guest an experience which wouldn't have existed had they not cooperated. So that means they gave birth to that experience of that guest. Only through the synergy and the unity between them. So the nature of unity, whether it be sexual or not, is to bring into the world new life. Something new. The idea of a prostitute is exactly the opposite that the goal of the unity is dislocated sorry that the process of the act is dislocated from its goal 
there's no unity over here there's an engaging in the means to the end without having the end present at all the end is through the connection something new will come out and yeah the end is through the connection nothing will happen the, the actual process the pleasurable process is looked upon as the end but it's not so it's an abuse of the system it's not evil and pernicious it's simply inaccurate it's a lie it's, a, it's, it's not the thing it's not the thing this is what the thing is and that's not it don't come with morality and fire and brimstone. It's just not that. In Lambdas, it's not it. It's a carpenter that makes a table without legs. It doesn't work. He thought that the art of making a table was more important. He didn't realize that the thing had to stand up. He carved it beautifully. But you're not doing the thing. You're not doing the thing. So the dislocation of the goal from the, from the means becomes a distortion, a complete distortion. <coughs> in our society, the distortion has become so prevalent that we don't have a cognizance of the fact that there is a goal beyond the process. We become so inculcated with the notion that the means is the end that we have no awareness that there's an end beyond the means. Welcome to Western hedonistic culture. But of course, everything needs to have a source. In a, people are deep, people are profound, and they, 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 there needs to be an entrance. That something there has to be something in order for for even superficial actions to perpetuate themselves. There has to be a deeper a deeper desire that's being misled. But it has to be there. So where does a deeper desire lie? What is it that we're really searching for? So of course, when it comes to relationships, we're searching for a unity which will produce, and and we get suckered into 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 walking away with the with the with the unfortunately a counterfeit version. Um, and in eating culture, it's the same thing. So where's the reality to that? <coughs> So this is a, a, a hypothetical suggestion for exploration. Perhaps, perhaps, the passion for eating different foods from different cultures comes from a desire to, to connect to multifaceted kinds of life forces. I don't mean that there's different kinds of life forces. There's not unity. What I mean is that there's different aspects and angles and facets to life. And life has, has many different colors and shades. And sometimes we want to be engaged in this kind of life force and other times in a different. And based on what kind of energy we're trying to resonate with guides us in what kind of experience we want to have. When engage- That's why we'll feel like a certain kind of food at a certain type of time or another. Again, this is a hypothesis to, just, just to get you perhaps to think about something. But I explain why this came about because of an experience that yesterday I davened a delicious marif. Mm, scrumptious. Because I went to a show that I don't normally go to, a magnificent society show not from, for, from where I live, and the decor was so radically different from Ashkenazi one. And the bimmer was so different. And the way of davening was so different. And it engaged a completely different experience of how the process of eating up life was fulfilled. 
instead of the Again, that's a bad rendition, but it's already beautiful. Very beautiful. And therefore, I got the same experience, but it came in from a very different angle. So, this whole very long-winded introduction has just been to explain one point. We have to develop spiritual sensitivity. And it's very easy for us to example the difference between bland Ashkenazi food, gefilte fish, le marshal, and jachnun or chilba. You can you can experience that we have the capacity to see ah, it's a different kind of taste and texture. But the truth is, every davening has got a different taste and texture, and every shul has got a different taste and texture, and every problem fact that that ma'ariv tastes very different to mincha and and shachris, but where you daven ma'ariv also tastes different. And if you think it's it's kind of monolithic, so it means that we haven't yet reached the goal of awakening with inside ourselves a spiritual sensitivity to explore the delicious delicacies of the spiritual world. And that's the underlying theme of what we've been working on in the last few sessions. And so this is just a continuation. I just want to thank you all for being present today. And specifically, I'd like to thank... Uh, our golfers that took off their precious time they could have been out there on the green hitting balls randomly into the different different distances and I'm not saying that's not important I think it's definitely what people should spend their time doing but they took off from that valuable usage of human genius I mean that's why I'm clearly God created man and they spent time with us seemingly in something as trivial as learning about the meaning of life so I thank them for that Tiger Roy Jace Thank you for coming. You're welcome. Pleasure. Right. <coughs> <laughs> I, 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 I think we did justice to this. The truth is, the truth is, I could have only, you can only do it once because tomorrow you'll expect it. So that's why I had to go, I had to, I had to do the full thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Tomorrow's mama's going to be expected. <laughs>